Hello and welcome to College Football Throwdown, episode 111. I'm your host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, So we are here today to talk about Nebraska's win over Northwestern, as well as uh, the many big upsets from week five of college football. Um, one cool announcement that we want to make here up front is that um, we've moved over to a new podcast service. Um, it's a website called Anchor instead of the usual uh, Podomatic. And one of the nice advantages of this is that it's going to let us uh, have more space to put all of our older episodes onto the main RSS feed. Uh, so you'll be seeing uh, the classic episodes going back to 2015 uh, going on to that feed. That's going to be awesome. Looking forward to that, you know, because I'm going to spend lots of time listening to those. <laughs> I bet you will, you know, as you're driving across the country in your RV or whatever. Exactly. I got to kill some time. I'm going to go back now that you mentioned some of those older ones. I want to go hear what I had to say about some of that stuff. That's that's classic stuff. <laughs> I guess so. All right. Uh, now, to dive into this particular game that we'll be talking about today, the Northwestern game. Um, we gave our usual predictions on our previous podcast. <laughs> oh, and, boy. Oh, yes. And uh, we both predicted that uh, Nebraska would win, uh, but we were anticipating kind of a close game. Um, I said that we would win uh, 24 to 14, and you said 35 to 14. Um, but the uh, final score ended up being 56 to 7. Uh, and a dominant performance and one that we uh, kind of desperately needed. I believe on the last podcast, you had mentioned that um, this Northwestern game was a must win. And frankly, it was one where we needed a convincing win um, to really, you know, kind of regain the confidence of the team and uh, show that we've got what it takes to kind of close out this last part of our season. That's going to be pretty difficult. Um, And as a matter of fact, you were there at the game, uh, so you got to experience that atmosphere uh, with all the rest of Husker Nation. So how was that experience for you? Well, it it turned out to be an absolutely fabulous weekend, Alex. It really did. Now, now keep in mind that uh, you know when we come to Lincoln, we we usually uh, we have a tailgate lot that allows us to get in, you know, the night before the game, even when the night the game is a night game. So so we were there, you know, Friday afternoon. I got all set up. Um, and uh, and then got to stay all the way through the game on Saturday night and into Sunday morning. So so it was just a nice extended period of time to kind of get yourself situated, have a wonderful tailgate experience. Uh, with uh, saw some old friends that we haven't seen in the tailgate lot, you know, because we didn't do it last year. So it's been two years, right? So so uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I have a a new projection TV toy that I was trying to mess with and that ended up working out really well because it was a night game. So it, 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 it was, it was great to have for some of the folks who chose not to go into the game and just watched it on the big screen back at my RV. Um, but, uh, but it was, it, it was just tremendous. And this was dubbed champions weekend in Lincoln um, because it was the hall of fame weekend. It was the weekend in which we inducted people into our hall of fame and what's kind of unusual is the University of Nebraska did not establish a Hall of Fame for the University of Nebraska athletics until 2015. 
So there's only been a few years of inductees. Okay, it's huh. not like it's a Hall of Fame that's been around for decades and decades. Uh, there is a state of Nebraska Hall of Fame that's existed for quite some time and has a lot of uh, Nebraska sports figures in it. But but as far as for the university, this is a, a fairly new thing, right? And uh, so that was going on this weekend, and they were bringing back all the championship teams from a variety of sports, not just football, that were basically celebrating anniversaries. Like, you know, so 90, uh, let's see, 71, 81, 91, you know, um, 2001, you know, so all these teams um, that they were trying to recognize in all kinds of sports. So it was just a, a weekend filled of festivities and celebrating championships and just memories of phenomenal performances, right? In football, basketball, baseball, softball, you name it. It was awesome. Um, and I, I was able to take advantage of both volleyball games. We had two home volleyball games this weekend, one on Friday and one on Sunday. And I was able to attend both of those and see our girls just do a gr great job. Phenomenal. Uh, Lauren Stiverns came back from an injury that's kept her on the shelf since the end of last season. She had surgery and was unavailable until just this weekend. So we got to see that. And so that was a great way to kick off the weekend was that Friday night going and they played, they played the university of Michigan in volleyball and just kicked their tail. It was a, it was a bloodletting man. And uh, it was also the night that because uh, Jordan Larson, the uh, Olympic gold medalist uh, and captain of the Olympic uh, volleyball team um, came home uh, for recognition and to be inducted into the hall of fame. And when she came into that arena at Bob Devaney, it was electric. <laughs> that is cool. I know. Yeah. During the game, they, uh, they honored Eric Crouch and Tom Osborne um, as part of that, all those festivities. I also know that it was homecoming. Uh, so for right. the students, there was that aspect to it. And I believe we also had some uh, recruits on visit uh, for that game as well. Right. Uh, obviously, they had targeted this as, a, as an important recruiting weekend. Probably not as much for 2022 as for some of the even younger recruits, right? Some of the real big-time targets that we've already lacked, lock, locked on to for, uh, you know, 2023 and, and that sort of thing. So so it was a very important recruiting weekend, of course, both for football and men's basketball and other sports as well. Um, nice. But, yeah, o only in Nebraska, Alex, would a Heisman Trophy winner get a rousing applause, but that applause was exceeded substantially by Jordan Larson, who is a, you know, former All-American volleyball player and now Olympic gold medalist. She got the biggest ovation of all the inductees by far. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess her, her accomplishments are a little more recent, maybe. So that has yes. some effect on it. But also being part of, you know, multiple championships with Nebraska and volleyball certainly helps. <laughs> yes. Well, and 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 being an, a three-time Olympian and captain of the the Olympic team. And, you know, she's regarded by, uh, well, Karch Karai called her the most complete and best volleyball player uh, of all time. Wow. That's pretty high praise. I'd say so. Um, one little thing we forgot to do at the beginning is our usual tradition of uh, cracking a beverage. Um, yes. And since it's late for you, uh, I'm by myself here today, but I've got my Japanese Sapporo again. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you are enjoying that stuff. 
Well, you think, I'm, you think I'm buying like crates of this stuff? It's the same six pack <laughs> as last time. Oh. <laughs> so. That's I'm, funny. I'm drinking these just for you, Dad. Don't you worry. Okay. okay. Well, that's good stuff. <laughs> yes. But um, yes. So anyway, though, you were asking for the lead up. You know, uh, I mean, the opponent wasn't that wasn't generating all that much excitement. And in fact, I would say that probably this was the most mild attendance from an opponent that I can remember. There was virtually no purple in the, in the stadium. You know what I mean? Like I, I would guess it was in the few hundreds at most, maybe 200, 300 people that I saw in the entire stadium that were purple. Right. Everyone else was red. So, so I just don't think that the, you know, the uh, obviously Northwestern, is struggling this year. I mean, we, we need to be honest in, in our assessment of, you know, our own performance based on that fact. But uh, but we have this history with uh, with Northwestern where invariably every one of these games is a knockdown drag out, goes to the final play or even into overtime because we've had a lot of overtime games with them and final play kind of uh, heroics that have swung the decision on this game in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true, because we commented on the previous podcast how they also had two losses like us, and I remember one of them was to Duke, and the other was to uh, Michigan State, I believe. Um, yeah, the Michigan State team that beat us, but frankly, we were better than and choked against. Um, so, right by the transitive property, you would think we're playing at home, we should be able to win this game. But as you say, you know, traditionally they've just been that kind of team that hangs in there, doesn't make too many mental mistakes. Um, and, uh, you know, is able to pull something out, you know, at the very end when you get nervous or whatever, cause you're, they're right. usually the underdog. Uh, but in this game, um, as a nice change of pace, we were able to score quickly and early. It was 21 to nothing, uh, in the first quarter already. And, uh, uncharacteristically, they made some big mistakes such as in the second quarter, uh, when they were driving down near the goal line and then fumbled it. And we recovered the ball and, you know, it would have been like 28 to 14, I think, if they had scored seven there. Um, But instead, now we kept our 21 point lead. And I believe we we took that ball. We didn't score on that particular drive, um, but we did the next drive. And so we made our lead a 28 point lead. And, you know, at that point, the game was really starting to get out of hand for them. Correct. Uh, I, I, I would agree. And yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a great deal of respect among Nebraska fans and certainly the coaches and players and on Nebraska's team for what Pat Fitzgerald and his staff have typically been able to do. And, uh, you know, I can tell you, I, I had the opportunity to watch uh, Pat Fitzgerald's um, post-game press conference, and I, and I can tell you he was embarrassed. And he was very clear about what they were going to do and how this was not acceptable, and they were going to go back to work. Now, they have the benefit of a, of a of hopefully well-timed um, uh, bye week. Next week, they don't play anybody. So they're going to get two weeks to prepare for their next game, which is Rutgers, and that's a game that now I think is going to become a, a, a critical fo- focal point. My, my concern is the other thing that we observed during this game was w- uh, they got beat up. I mean, there were a lot of injury timeouts, and they had probably at least three – offensive linemen that that left the field and did not return so I, I you know and I don't know what the status of those guys are but they're wounded man they are beat up and they need this break you know yeah. to kind of get well hopefully with some of their players 
Um, and, and they're a team that just lost a ton from the previous year. And, uh, and they're just not athletic enough to do what they want to do. And, and then they lost their maturity as well, right? All of a sudden, a lot of those guys that were really experienced had moved on. And so they just, they right. just did, don't have what it, what it takes. But they're, I know they're well coached, and I'll be interested to watch and see how things evolve for them over the remainder of this season. I have a feeling you're going to see them start to move in a positive direction, not necessarily winning football games, but playing better than they did against us. Because against yeah. us, it was just not their night. Yeah. Yeah. There are two things that stand out to me from what you just said. Um, one is that I remember the commentators mentioning how Northwestern had a, a defense that was highly regarded last year. I forget what the stat was, but it was like they were up there amongst some of the least yards allowed or least points or something like that. Um, and then, like you say, they lost a lot of those guys and, you know, with still with a couple talented folks on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, it was definitely diminished. And you could tell that with uh, the success we were able to have on offense. Um, and also, I, I, get the, I get the feeling they were very slow. You know what I mean? They just physically slow a foot. Right. Um, the second thing I was going to mention is that um, although it's frustrating that we've lost all these close games so far this year, um, we have played physical in pretty much all of them. And all of them, uh, the yeah. opponent team has left with several injured players. I'd say that's a consistent theme I've noticed in all of our games so far this year. Yeah, well, that's true. We are a more physical team than we've been in years. And I and that's going to become particularly important uh, on this upcoming game that we're going to get into here in a few minutes. But um, but but I don't want to leave this too soon because this is a this is this was such a fun game to be at because we finally looked the way I think Coach Frost expected us to look. You know, now to to his credit, we need to accept and uh, actually Pat Fitzgerald mentioned this in his comments as well is that. Scott had has introduced a series of option plays this season that we didn't run a lot of in any previous season with Scott um, that are pretty darn good and they're blocking them in a multitude of ways. So um, uh, Coach Fitzgerald felt like they had prepared for that, but admitted after the game that their preparation obviously didn't work because they said, you know, we we could not stop their option that they were just outnumbering us and. We, we didn't have an answer and we couldn't adjust mm -hmm. and uh, at least not within the game, you know? So he, he felt like that was priority one for them was to go back and say, okay, what do we got to do to make sure that doesn't happen again? Cause he knows that any team that can is going to probably try to run that at them uh, until they prove they can stop it. Right. Yeah. When we've commented on the, the success of that option style, uh, those option style plays when we've chosen to bring them out. Um, one other thing that we talked about a good bit at the end of our previous podcast was how uh, Adrian got that uh, big hit in that game against Michigan State, went out for a series, came back in, and you were kind of under the impression that uh, he was really hurt in that right shoulder and that he should stay out of this game and we should have our second team guy take the lead on the Northwestern game so Adrian could heal up for the Michigan game. Um, right. I would have to say, I think you were wrong about that particular prediction uh, because Adrian <laughs> played great this game. Uh, didn't he, he sure did. And, and, and I, and I'd like to think, cause I tried to watch pretty closely. I, I I'd like to say that I, I don't think he re-injured it. I still believe he has the injury. Cause I think this is an injury. That's, that's one of those lingering things that there's not a lot they can do about. Um, 
that just kind of reoccurs when it reoccurs. When you get hit hard, it's just going to happen. But I, I don't think he had one of those events during the game. I never saw it. You know what I mean? I, I didn't see it in the body language. I didn't see it in how he walked or any of that sort of stuff. So I think uh, whether it was adrenaline running because they were doing so well or, or whatever, uh, although he still does have a tendency to overthrow people uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times, especially in those medium uh, distance routes. Uh, there were a couple of wide open guys that he just flat out missed uh, uh, yep. on his passes, but but no, no doubt he played a very good game that was kind of within himself. Uh, he'd still had a, a a crazy pitch or two that I'm a little uncomfortable with that I'm hoping he gets better at if we continue to use that that particular um, line of of plays. But but what I loved was the Christmas. the The, the big thing, of course, was that. We changed up our offensive line. We added two different starters, including a, a true freshman who everybody's been raving about, but they were they felt like they they didn't want to push push him into it too soon. But our challenge of, uh, of being two and three forced Scott's hands a little bit. I think he was he was maybe hoping that maybe they'd only use him for four games, you know, and keep that redshirt year. But they finally conceded that that wasn't going to happen. They needed him now. And they switched things up, and they moved uh, Turner Corcoran from left tackle to right tackle. And after uh, uh, struggling a little bit in the first series, that offensive line seemed to really get their stuff together. Um, um, yep. There were a couple of miss, miss blocks that were pretty blatant in the first series, but it didn't hurt us because it wasn't but four plays or whatever. Um, and then uh, we seemed to get it together. And, man, there were times when, again, um, Adrian, which who has no internal clock for how long he should hold on to the football, he held on to it for six or seven seconds, but he was allowed to because our offensive line held him so good. Yep. No, I was going to mention that as well. The offensive line play was significantly better this time. Now, that's one of those things where you should caveat it with, you know, uh, for example, in that game against Buffalo, um, our offensive line also gave Adrian all day and he was never really pressured um, when it came to making those throws. Um, so... When we go up against better competition, of course, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but certainly it would appear that those personnel shifts that you mentioned uh, did have a positive effect. And more than anything, I think um, just having that affirmation of a really dominant win and that confidence that it brings to the team was something we really needed after such a disappointing loss to Michigan State. I agree because those guys have been very frustrated that they knew they were better than they were showing on game day. And so this is the first time they were able to make it translate. I just hope they can keep it going and uh, and put on a good effort and crisp, clean effort again this coming week uh, because that will be the real tell of the tape. Now, I, I will say this, though, too. That the nice thing is that was a night game in Memorial Stadium and we get another one just like it this coming week. And that's that allows you to build a little momentum because everything about what went right in this thing, you can duplicate it, right? And all the way down to the details of when you eat breakfast, when you eat lunch, you know, when you go out to prepare uh, on the field, how you go about pregame warmups, the whole routine thing, you're, you're locking in, you know, and um, and and the the crowd, which was quite frankly pretty subdued before the game, like. You know, the welcome that they got from the tunnel walk was probably as subdued as I can remember being in that stadium. But then after, you know, that that first play when we had like a 70 yard pass play, the place went nuts. And and when we got up 21 to nothing, oh, my God, it was a zoo. Right. Like it was like (laughs) it was on. 
And I, and I, and I'd like to think that if we could have some success early next week or this coming week against Michigan, that, 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 that field, that stadium will become a den that will be tough on the Wolverines. Now, if, if the opposite happens and we piss down our legs or do you do make some early mistakes that give Michigan some easy points, I think that'll pop the balloon so fast it's not even funny, right? Mm-hmm. So we really need to sustain that success by having some positive things happen early in the game for us, I believe. Yeah. Um, uh, two little things I want to mention on the on the in the stadium side of things since you were there. Um, one, I thought it was pretty funny that the the one punt that we had in the entire game uh, <laughs> went over the the. The, uh, Northwestern, Returners. yeah, the Northwestern guy's head, and it kind of did a nice favorable bounce for us. So it ended up being like an 84-yard pass where we totally flipped the field. And I swear the crowd cheered louder for that than they had for almost anything else in the in the game. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a big cheer, no doubt about it. Yeah, and it certainly did wonders for that guy's punt average to have one punt. <laughs> For 84 yards, that certainly helps. But, uh, and the and the other uh, thing I was going to mention was the they they didn't show the whole thing on the TV, but they showed a little bit of it after the fact. Was between the third and the fourth quarter, they had this cool light show where everything went dark in the stadium with these red lights and flames and stuff, and they played Thunderstruck. Um, it looked really cool uh, just watching it on TV. I'm sure it was much more fun in the stadium. It, it was really cool and somewhat unexpected. Like uh, AJ and I kind of remember them doing it once before for a night game like um, maybe two years ago uh, that we were in attendance to but this is definitely the first time they've done it this year and I would say it's the first time they've done it at least in two years maybe three so um, that was really cool and it was very well received I mean people were going crazy during it now everybody with their phone lights you know they had their lights on and their phones and uh, it's just it was really cool and it I mean, even the Northwestern players were totally into it, right? They were they were loving it, so uh, it created a, an incredible atmosphere for the moment uh, of the event. You yeah. know, um, now I don't think they, that we would quite react that way if we were getting our ass kicked in our home stadium. You know what I mean? It would still be fun, but it, it wouldn't have the same feeling. Yeah. So hopefully, when we do that again this coming week, because I'm pretty certain we'll do it again, we'll be winning. Let's hope so. Now, because here, here's the thing, Alex. We had 434 yards of rushing and over 650 yards of total offense against them. The most yards ever against Pat Fitzgerald's team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the points, it was the biggest defeat in terms of point spread in the history of Pat Fitzgerald's time at, um, at Northwestern. And he's like the second tenured coach in the big 10 i mean he's been around for quite a while so that's saying some things and you just know that uh, you know just again because of the respect i have for him as a coach that's that doesn't come easy no matter what you say that doesn't come easy i will concede that they were they're not they're not a very good football team just athletically the just the, the players they got to work with right now are just not there yet they're young and and their athleticism maybe is not quite where they want it to be uh, but that doesn't mean they won't be right back at it, you know, in a year or two uh, with his uh, tutelage. But um, um, it was an amazing night and an, uh, just wonderful to see our our players execute the way they did. And then, of course, I, I'm sorry, I'm dominating here our conversation a little bit, Alex. But what did you think? Give me your thoughts when the very first play of the second half is is 
is a, a pitch to a wide receiver, uh, uh, Betts, Xavier Betts, and he just turns on the Jets and goes. That's <laughs> what Nebraska football used to be like every year, Alex, was watching you know, Jarvis Redwine, Isaiah Moses' hip, take a pitch from uh, one of our quarterbacks and run 70, 80 yards untouched to the end zone. Yeah, That's what that was like. Yep. It was well, so cool. It, it was great. And I remember there were two things in particular I recalled, which was um, whoever it was on the on the side that gave him, gave Betts the block he needed. He needed one block uh, to kind of get that edge on the sideline. And our guy did a great job with that. And then talking yeah. to what you were saying before about Northwestern being slow, uh, they did have like their safety had the angle on Betts, but he just was not fast enough to catch up. It was clear Betts right. was going to the house. So yeah, that was a emphatic way to, you know, uh, get the, the second half going, you know, there were a lot of, yep. a lot of big plays um, in oh, this yeah. game, which on the one hand are great, you know, to, really excite the crowd and get those numbers up, you know, and make it, we were able to go up, you know, 21 to nothing so quickly it felt like. Um, But at the same time, there is something I do like about, you know, a steady drive, you know, just digging and dunking for first downs across the whole field and scoring a touchdown that kind of shows that it's not just like a fluke trick play or, you know, one guy messes up his coverage or whatever, and you get a big score. If you can consistently drive down the field like that, it shows that you're winning in the trenches and uh, that, you know, you're going to win the football game in the long term. And we had some of that still. Um, Like you say, we had 427 total yards of rushing rushing the ball we rushed it 53 yeah, times 427 yeah yep 650 wow. yards overall so you know yeah there was a lot to like there and and because we had such a big lead we were able to get adrian out which i was happy to see so you know if he is dealing with any sort of uh nagging injury he, he was able to get out of there early um and we controlled the clock from that point on and you know it was all you know it, it was great to see our offense play to the level our defense had the previous week the offense really let us right. down in that Michigan State game this time the offense came to play and that was great to see um however for this upcoming game against Michigan um it feels like a scenario to me where like it feels like this was our big game to kind of get our identity together and re- really get a big win you know that's going to help our program the problem is I feel like Michigan just had that exact kind of win too in their dominant win over Wisconsin. Well, and, and they did it on the road. Yep. Very that, true. That's even more impressive, right? Uh, yeah. And th- their defense is absolutely for real. I, I, I was just um, hearing a stat uh, today uh, while I was preparing for the, the podcast and I think it was something like uh, Wisconsin passed 29 times in the game and like 23 or 24 of those 29 passes ended up in either a uh, sack or a quarterback hurry. Like, I mean that the reason that their quarterbacks one didn't make it through the game, right. Got hurt. And even their back, the backup that came in after him was running for his life the whole time. I mean, their, their defensive line was dominant in -hmm. that game. Yes, and um, that we didn't we didn't face that in Northwestern, and 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 uh, they probably won't pin their ears back quite as much with uh, because of Adrian, right? 
typically if you try to come that aggressively after an athlete like Adrian, he's going to find ways to make a guy miss and then be running wild down the field, right? So most defensive coordinators are going to back away on an athletic quarterback like Adrian and say, okay, we got to squeeze the pocket on this guy, but keep him in, keep him in the pocket, right? So they're not quite as aggressive. Yeah. And, I, and uh, uh, let him throw interceptions, basically, is what I'm saying. Right. Um, and uh, and go ahead. This was a game that we predicted on our previous episode, episode 110. Um, and I predicted that uh, Michigan would win, but I thought it'd be a low scoring game considering uh, Michigan was just coming off of a, a tough, low scoring win against Rutgers. Um, so I predicted that they would win 17 to 13. Meanwhile, you predicted a Wisconsin victory because it was at Wisconsin. You said Wisconsin would win 28 24. Uh, but the final score ended up being 38 17. Um, for, for Michigan. Yes, yeah. for Michigan. And, uh, I believe like that maybe that last like Wisconsin touchdown was kind of in uh right at the end of the game when it, like it didn't really matter, you know, like Michigan had the had the game but, in hand. But, but the thing you got to remember is that that game was basically I think like 10 to 13 at halftime. Mm-hmm. And there were plenty of opportunities for uh Wisconsin early in the third quarter that they could have taken a lead. Uh, in that game, and and it might have it might have looked differently. You know what I mean? It might have uh, yep. played out differently. Well, because I, I uh, so so because uh, Wisconsin's defense is for real. I mean, those guys were hitting man. That that both sides of that game was amazing. I, I thought defensively. Right. Well, what I saw from the game because I I watched the first half and then didn't really watch much of the second. Um, so I didn't really see Michigan's dominance kind of come into play later on. Um, but I watched the highlights after the fact. Um, and yeah, it was one of those games where the both sides on the defense were uh, were doing really well against each other. Um, you'll recall though that uh, Wisconsin's offense they just got one field goal and then they were just at three points for the majority of the first half. And then like yes. Michigan did some funky like pooch pooch kick thing, you know, to avoid a return. Um, at near the end of the second half and Wisconsin took that and drove it down the field and scored right at the end of the first half to make it 13 to 10. So frankly, I thought, I felt like Michigan had kind of dominated that first half overall. Uh, but Wisconsin was only down by three points going to the locker room. Um, part of that was also that Wisconsin had their own, uh, special teams mistake, much like Nebraska, where yes. their guy getting a punt, uh, totally missed it. It grazed one of the Wisconsin guys, and Michigan got the ball basically right on the goal line and scored easy that way. So I felt, like, and later on in the game, like you said, once uh, their first team quarterback got hurt and the second team guy came in, I think that second team guy threw two interceptions that also led to easy points for Michigan's offense. So it was one of those games where Wisconsin's defense really did play well, like you said, but the other two parts of the team, the offense and the special teams, kind of kept letting them down. Right. I, I would agree with that assessment completely. Uh, but uh, I still look at that and I say, OK, well, so what do we got with this Michigan team coming in? Right. They've already played some big games. They played a big night game, you know, national uh, marquee game against a Washington team that everybody thought was going to be really good, uh, but is showing itself to not be all that great this year, uh, at least not yet. And so is that is that win maybe diminished a little bit now from when it when they actually played it, and then uh, you know they won um, um, 
you know, some other games that they frankly should have won. Right. So, so uh, Wisconsin was that first game to really test their metal. And I think they, they rose to the occasion and, and did well, but they still struggled to run the football against that Wisconsin defense. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, early in the game, their, their only touchdown in the first half was a flea flicker, you know, uh, trick play. So um, um, I'm hopeful that our defense is sound enough to at least slow them down a little bit. Right. Um, and, uh, and then our offense has got to continue to be explosive like it's been. Yep. Well, in both in the Michigan State game and this uh, Northwestern game, um, I think our defense show has shown that we've really got something good going against the run. You know, where we're yeah doing well up front, and we've been able to stuff them. Um, in that Northwestern game, actually, uh, they only had. 37 rushing yards on 26 attempts to show you how bad it was for them. Um, right. However, both Northwestern and Michigan state were able to get some serious passing yards early on. Um, uh, Northwestern had 230 yards of passing, um, you know, and like I said, on that, that drive where they were moving it on us and then fumbled it on the goal line was a real momentum swing against them. Um, so that's an area where I am, concerned where uh i know michigan's kind of been leaning on their running game as kind of their main strength so that's kind of a strength against strength that i'm interested to see how that plays out our defensive line against their rushing game Um, but what i'm more worried about is uh their quarterback showing off his passing skills which he showed in that wisconsin game that he does have a good arm yes well and their backup is even better right their backup is a superstar five-star stud you know, quarterback, that's their future. And, and so if, if the starter struggles and let's say we were to get ahead, then, you know, the new monster might show up on the field who shows up and just starts zipping passes left and right. And, and, you know, slices and dices us apart because he, I think he's the real deal. It's just that his decision-making isn't maybe always the best. You know what I mean? He's a freshman. He's still got a lot to learn, but his physical skills are undeniable. They also have some tremendous, they have a power back and a speed back, both of whom are outstanding, young and outstanding. Um, And so we can't even give them a small crease because that guy's going to get through the line where, where, uh, you know, a Northwestern running back gets stuffed at the line of scrimmage. That guy gets the crease. He's gone. And so our defense is going to have to be incredibly disciplined. We can't get out of alignment. Um, And and we're going to have to bow up at that, on that defensive line and stop their offensive line. If we can do that and kind of force them to throw when they don't want to, then maybe we can slow them down. Um, and then hopefully uh, our offense, which their defense is really, really good. I mean, there's just uh, uh, no two ways about it. Their defense is really playing, playing pretty well. Um, so I don't know what our offense is going to be able to do. It's certainly not going to look like it did against Northwestern, but I, I hope that we're discovering our talent enough especially with, we didn't even mention Yance yet. Right. You know, the emergence of that guy. Somehow we've got to keep him on the field for uh, a good portion of the game. He's got to get 15 carries, I think, over the course of a game if we're having success because I have a feeling that he can he can be that guy that can get us first downs. Yeah, he's somebody who uh, really stood out in the spring game, I recall. And yeah, we haven't really seen much of him until this uh, Northwestern game, but he had 13 carries for 127 yards. And uh, a lot of good carries, too, you know, where he was impressive using that stiff arm. I love that. Yes. That was great. Yes. He's, 
He's got a good stiff arm, although on one of those, he face masked and got away with it, right? His stiff arm was absolutely a grab of the face mask of the Northwestern player, and he got away with it. They never called it. Right, yeah. So ho- hopefully that won't come back to haunt us when he does that in a in a tight game. Yeah, and that was another uh, thing we prob- I should have mentioned about the Northwest- Northwestern game was that we had four penalties for 19 yards, and I'm pretty sure two of those were like false starts that came in uh, later in the game when Adrian had gone out, um, you know, yes. and the, the, the second and third second team quarter. Team. Yes, the second and third team quarterbacks were coming in. Um, so that yeah. was another thing that was really good to see that we were the ones um, kind of, uh, you know, playing clean and Northwestern was kind of making more of those mental mistakes. Although, like you say, we definitely did get away with a, a couple, <laughs> I yeah. think. Um, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's the thing that's just so frustrating to me and, and whether it's us or somebody else, I just hate when the referees are just missing so much stuff. There was a, there was a play during the game where one of our defensive linemen literally got, mugged and when the, uh, when the guy um you know when when our defensive end got past him the guy just turned around and tackled him literally hands around his chest you know on his back and rode him to the ground and he didn't get get it he didn't get a holding call call <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like what 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 do they got to do to get a holding call right uh, so yeah that, that kind of shit drives me nuts well i think i remember one where um our defensive guy was running in trying to get to the quarterback and the offensive guy was, you know, holding him up by his uh, chest and his arms were like waving up and down, making it clear that, you know, he was getting held and nothing got called. Right. So the, the right. like these, I don't know which crew this was, but this particular crew was letting the boys play, I think more so than your average crew. Maybe uh, I would agree. They really were. They really were. And you know what? I, I guess if you're calling it consistently, that's one thing. But the problem is I still want the thing I, – I want the rules of the game to be enforced, and I want them to be enforced reasonably consistently by bo- for, for, for both teams, okay? And I just feel like there are so many times when either there's this dramatic variation from game to game where one, one crew will let a lot of stuff go and another crew will not, uh, or and so you have that form of variation. And then you have the flat-out inconsistency where, where one team just gets the, the short end of the stick way too much within a game and uh and if it's a close game then that ends up becoming the deciding factor that's what allows one team to be successful and the other one not to um uh and then the the final thing i would say about that northwestern game is that i would agree with you you've mentioned it a couple of times i would agree with you that that when we were able to stop them when they had first and goal on the one and then ultimately we got a turnover that was huge because had they gone in there then they're back to a 14 point game and all of a sudden the the fans and the stadium are nervous right and so is our team and we we may be tightened up a little bit but because that didn't happen and we ended up with a positive play from our defense man then the the gate the floodgates kind of opened mhm no yeah that was in terms of momentum swing that was the moment for sure in that game it was it really was it really um, was but going back to this Michigan game, I agree with you that uh, how our offense is able to deal with uh, their defense, you know, and I obviously I like the fact that Scott's been uh, showing his proclivity to run the ball here, you know, and our, that our offensive line has kind of gotten to a nicer groove and all that sort of stuff. But um, I feel like that Michigan is going to force Adrian to pass the ball against uh, their Michigan's 
uh, secondary, you know, kind of put that to the test. And uh, will Adrian, you know, kind of get frustrated as we've seen him do, you know, and start overthrowing guys or forcing things that, you know, he knows he shouldn't or whatever. Um, that that could be uh, a worry sign, I think, for us. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I kind of agree. I, I'm uh, by no means do I think, oh, yeah, we're going to beat this. You know, I don't feel that way at all. I feel we have a chance. Uh, which I wouldn't have said before this week, this past week's game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so, in terms of predicting the score of the game, yeah, uh, I'm going to go... thinking about that the whole podcast, Alex. I have no idea. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so well, you go first. But fine, fine, I'll go first this time. Um, so I'm going to be realistic here and predict that uh, I think Michigan is going to win this game over us. Um, but I think we're going to put up a good fight. And keep it respectable. Um, so I'm going to say that uh, both defenses play well. And so it's going to end up being, let's say, a uh, 24 Michigan to, uh, what would that be, 17 Nebraska. Let's go with that. 24-17 Michigan victory. Okay. Well, that's you're letting me off the hook a little bit, Alex. So you're going to allow me to let my uh, rose-colored glasses come out <laughs> and say that I think uh, I I have a vision and I have a positive energy that's come from being in Lincoln and being able to experience this wonderful Champions Weekend and uh, just feel the good positive vibes. I think, man, the sense I get is that people are excited about Trev Albers as our new athletic director. You know, we've got the construction going on for the new facilities. I mean, things are a buzz at the university of Nebraska right now. Um, and, um, I, I, I think that if we can have success early, very critical, we have to have some success early that the, uh, the magic of Memorial stadium at night will ignite and carry the Huskers to victory. And I'm going to say that we're going to win, uh, by 14 points. It's not going to be a, three point seven point type of game that if if we win in my vision version of this um i think we end up um winning by a a a decent margin you know that that we're able to control this thing at the end um so i but i think it's going to be a little higher scoring so i'll go with 38 28 nebraska 38 28 all right can i have some of that kool-aid you're drinking yeah, no, I, I get it. But I, I just want I, I want it so bad. And, and frankly, Alex, it's the only path to six wins that I can see. Because if, if we can win this game this week, let's just play a little what if. Then we play Purdue and Minnesota over the next two games. Both teams that could beat us for sure, but games that we could certainly win as well, right? That I think would be considered kind of toss-up games. So if we could find a way to win this game, we get to our six wins before we ever have to play the hard stretch at the end of, you know, Wisconsin, uh, Ohio State, and Iowa. Um, uh, so um, I, w- I would love to get to that six wins, and now we're just playing for final position uh, of what kind of bowl we go to, right, uh, in those last three games. Yeah. And uh, I think that the, then uh, I think there, the, all the conversation about Scott Frost being fired would be gone. There just would be – a a stress relief in the program that would allow them to just relax and then play out the rest of the season, you know? 
So yeah, um, that that would be great. Um, I'm personally feeling after watching that Michigan Wisconsin game, um, I personally feel like we have more of a shot against Wisconsin than I thought. Basically, my opinion kind of flipped a bit where I feel like I'd feel like we're going to lose to Michigan because they look genuinely good. Uh, but I think Wisconsin showed some vulnerabilities in their own offensive and special teams struggles that I think if we're able to kind of maintain our current level and develop from where we are right now, that we may be able to beat them, even though it's at Wisconsin. Um, yeah, so well, that, that, that's that, my pathway. That's the tune. That's the tune I'll be singing after next week and we lose to Michigan, but for now, <laughs> because I'm going to be in attendance, we're going to have a big tailgate before the game. I've got uh, many of your uh, aunts and uncles are coming uh, to see us and your cousins, a few of your cousins. And so we're going to have a really nice tailgate before the game. And I just bought four tickets, which I had to pay a damn premium for. I, I wish I would have bought them last week before the, uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> before uh, the win. Northwestern game. Cause all of a sudden, Literally, the prices went up a hundred dollars a ticket, um, just from before the game and after, and and the number available disappeared. I mean, <laughs> I looked at it before the Northwestern game, wow. and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a lot of choices here based on what was available in SeatGeek and you know all those different uh, StubHub, those different uh, uh, types of sites, and then, oh, now they're gone. <laughs> well, hey man, you should have uh, you should have had faith in your Huskers that we were gonna I pull it out. But, pull yeah, it out. I know. Well, <laughs> you know me; I'm an idiot that way. So, all right. Well, doubting, doubting Thomas. All right, and we're gonna spend a little bit of time here on the uh, other upsets from Week Five of college football because there actually were quite a bit, quite a few upsets and in other interesting games. Um, one that we mentioned last time was uh, that in the SEC, Georgia was going to play Arkansas, and Arkansas has been kind of having this uh, surprisingly good season for them so far. Um, but I think uh, Georgia kind of brought them back down to earth with a 37 to nothing shutout that sounded pretty brutal. It, and, and I watched some of that, and, and it was. Georgia was just way better. And, you know, that, that's one of those things where uh, that sometimes some of these games that they always hype as the big game of the weekend – almost a lot of times they don't turn out to be the ones that you want to watch. You know, they tried to make everybody think Alabama and um, Ole Miss was going to be a super competitive tight game type of thing and um, different stuff like that, you know. Um, but then the ones that end up being fascinating, intense games are like Kentucky, Florida and, um, you know, the Oregon Stanford game, things like that. Yep. Well, speaking of those, um, Oregon got upset by Stanford, which is surprising as they were ranked number five at the time. Uh, it really was surprising. Yeah, 24 to 31 uh, in overtime. Um, mm -hmm. And it, I watched the highlights of the game, and that was one where uh, Oregon uh, was having some success offensively, but kept getting stopped by Stanford's defense and being forced to kick field goals. And those really came back to bite them later on. Uh, Stanford had a drive in the fourth quarter where they were down by seven. Um, and in fact, they went for it on the last play of the game and didn't get the touchdown, but it got called for pass interference. And so they got another go at it with zero seconds on the clock. And on that time they got it, went to overtime and won in the upset over uh, Oregon. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a fan of Stanford than Oregon. I'll, I'll just stay nice and say it that way. Um, <laughs> But but Oregon, of course, was was highly 
recognized because they're the ones who basically took took it to Ohio State, right? Yep. So, so that's they had tr- tremendous amount of credibility as a result of that, and they're probably still the the best or certainly one of the top two teams in the in the Pac-12 this season. But you know, I don't know who those. You know, the, uh, there's an awful lot of guys in the middle in the Pac-12. Yeah. Well, yes. Seems like one of those situations where the Pac-12 may cannibalize itself again in terms of uh, consideration for the playoff. I think you're right. I mean, Oregon's probably the only one with the kind of quality win that if they could run the table from here, they might still be in the conversation. But they're going to have to do that. Yeah. And then, uh, as you also mentioned, uh, Florida versus Kentucky. That one was quite a surprise. Um, our uh star player from the past couple years, uh, Wandell Robinson transferred to Kentucky and uh, watching those highlights, he had a great run that uh, went for a touchdown early on for Kentucky. I don't know if you saw that. Yes, I did. Yeah. He's having a great year there, you know, and they're, they're using him more the way that he wanted to be used. So, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's been a big win for him to, to make the decision to transfer like he has. And, you know, they, they got a transfer quarterback that's, that's brought their, um, their offense to life. And um, so he's a good fit there, you know, not to say that he wouldn't be a great fit if, if he had stayed and we had him along with Toure and Omar Manning and uh, Oliver Martin and, and, and some of the other wide receivers that we have. I mean, I think he'd have been tremendous. And I think running back wise, we, we have enough running back choices that he wouldn't have been being burdened with having to take on so much running back duty like he did for us. So if he had stayed, I think it would have worked out, but but he chose not to. So, you know, that is what it is. Yeah, and I recall from those highlights that I believe Florida had a lot of turnovers. You know, it was another one where they were making a lot of mistakes um, that Kentucky mm-hmm. was able to capitalize on and uh, end up pulling out the game. Uh, so that was quite a, another shocker uh, in the SEC. And then we talked a little bit last time about the Auburn-LSU game. Um, and that yeah. was another one with a kind of a similar theme of uh, LSU, uh, frankly, should have won that game, but ha- kept having to settle for field goals. They kicked four field goals over the course of the game. Um, and L- L- Auburn ended up winning uh, 24 to 19. And I hadn't really followed much of Auburn this season so far, but watching that highlight, I was imp- super impressed by their quarterback, Knicks. Um, he was Adrian Martinez like in some of his like darting out of these. Uh, situations where he was getting pressured real bad, but uh, passing it even better than Adrian and finding guys open for some crazy touchdowns and big plays and stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bo uh, uh, was demonstrating an ability to get out of the pocket, but then constantly try to look back downfield to throw that ball. Whereas Adrian's more inclined to once he makes the decision that he's got to scramble, He's pretty much tucking and running most times, right? It's a rarity that he actually ends up throwing it late in that in that process. Where Bo was running all over the field one time, I swear he ran fifty yards back and forth, and then released the football um, for a touchdown pass, which is really incredible. That's more uh, throwback to the earlier age of quarterbacks in the NFL, like Joe, uh, like uh, John Elway, and people like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I I think I remember the one you're talking about where it looked like he was going to just run out of bounds, you know, take the loss. And then he scampered to the right and found a guy open and threw a beautiful pass right in the end zone. I was like, I couldn't believe he turned that disaster into a, 
into a touchdown for them. Touchdown, right. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that was impressive. That really was. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then uh, a couple other uh, kind of more minor games, but interesting ones. Um, Oklahoma State beat Baylor 24 to 14. Uh, Mississippi State beat Texas A&M 26 22. Uh, Cincinnati beat Notre Dame 24 13. Um, Cincinnati was ranked higher than Notre Dame. It was a seven versus nine matchup, nine. but I would still yep. say I was a bit surprised that they uh, were able to control the game to the extent that they did. Absolutely, and and um, and it was at Notre Dame Stadium, mm-hmm. and amazingly, the crowd there was a huge Cincinnati representation in that crowd. I don't know what was that. It wasn't quite Nebraska two thousand one, you know, like but uh where half the stadium was red uh when nebraska invaded notre dame stadium but i would say it was the closest i've seen it ever before um so that cincinnati team that they had people uh there preparing to watch a miracle and they saw it because (laughs) it's been a long time since cincinnati's beaten beaten notre dame i'll assure you yeah i can tell um so yeah, you know another one. Another one was Oklahoma. Uh, oh. You know, uh, against Kansas State, Oklahoma won the football game, but the final score ended up being. I didn't watch a lot of it because you know we were preparing for our own game, but but I was surprised by that final score, and it continues to pro- project that Oklahoma isn't quite there offensively. They they are struggling um, uh, to have the explosiveness that they've had before, and their defense is about what it's been. Right. Good, but not great. Right. Yeah, you're right. The, uh, that was 37, 31. So a, a close, yeah. a close win. Um, and I suppose that goes to and show Kansas state's not very good. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it goes to show kind of some of the weakness, I guess, of that kind of, uh, high flying, you know, throw the ball 80 yards kind of philosophy, right. Where if you can outscore, you know, score 60 points while the, the other team scoring 30 on you, you know, then yeah, you'll win those games. But if your offense isn't quite there, then your defensive deficiencies uh, really come back to bite you. Yes, I would agree. That's a very good insight. Yeah. Uh, and then com- coming up here in week six of college football, we've got a couple of interesting games, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, the classic red river shootout uh, coming up for us. And uh, that's my son. Way to go. (laughs) Yeah. It will always and eternally be the Red River shootout. It is not the Red River rivalry. It is the Red River shootout. (laughs) I I knew you were going to comment on that. So I made sure to get it right. Um, (laughs) But like you say, that'll be interesting. Um, I wonder, do you know who is uh, at home there? Well, no, it's always played every year. It's played not at, uh, uh, right. Daryl Royal Stadium at the University of Texas. It's played at the Cotton Bowl in in Dallas. So it's quote quote a neutral site because it's not in Austin at, at the campus of the University of Texas, but it's in the state of Texas, Texas, and um um and they they give fifty percent of the tickets to Oklahoma and fifty percent of the tickets. So there's a there's a very distinctive Oklahoma side and a distinctive Texas side. Right. Yeah, you're right. I had forgotten that. But uh, that that should be an interesting one because uh, both of them have kind of struggled this year. So, you know, maybe Texas will get their chance to kind of knock off Oklahoma for the first time in a while, um, you know, since Oklahoma's not as great this year. 
Right. And and that game produces unexpected results a lot. Very I mean, true. teams that you think are way better lose in that rivalry. So, yeah, it, uh, that, that, that uh, that's a coin flip, man. Who's going to win that game? Because you're right, Texas has struggled some, but they've also looked good here more recently maybe with some, uh, you know, like they're maybe starting to get it together offensively. So we'll see what happens in that game. But but I could see either team win in that game. Okay. And then in the SEC, there's some interesting matchups, Arkansas versus Ole Miss and Georgia versus Auburn. Um, so mm. Auburn's coming off that win over LSU, and now they're going to have to face the – the monster that seems to be Georgia this year. Um, yes. Now, is that at Georgia or at Auburn? Auburn? Uh, that that would be important, I think. And because if that's at Georgia, I would say the chances are are much greater that that Georgia is going to take care of business. If it's at Auburn, I would say it's it's maybe more of a competitive uh, judgment. It is at Auburn, so they do have that going for them. Okay. Well, Auburn might be gaining some. Some of that magic. I mean, that's that Auburn Stadium is one that I have never attended. You know, you know how I like to go to different stadiums. That's one I've never been able to enjoy a football Saturday at. And 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 I, I perceive that it, that is probably one of the best home advantages that exists. You know, it's right there. It's in the top ten, mm-hmm. right up there. And then the big game uh, from Week Six. Uh, in the Big Ten, that also has big national implications, is number four Penn State versus number three Iowa, at Iowa. I should mention. Um, oh, it's at Iowa. I thought it was at Penn State. Okay, no, it's at Iowa. Yep, at Iowa. Um, I personally, I think we kind of said on a previous podcast that Iowa is kind of overrated. Think of them as the number three team in the country right now. I don't think that's the case. I personally think Penn State will win, even with it being at Iowa, uh, but there's no doubt that Iowa's had a, a great start to their year so far. Well, and and they looked probably more complete this past weekend than they have all season. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so They had a dominant win over Rutgers, right? It was Maryland, I think, wasn't oh, it? They, you might be right. I know it was one of those. Yeah, I, Ohio teams. State played Rutgers. Ohio State played oh, okay. Rutgers. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I I believe Penn State is more legitimate than Iowa, but I will also concede that Iowa's got pretty good home field advantage, and that matters so much in the uh, in in college football, you know. Um, but I would probably still lean Penn State, but I I think it could easily be a uh, a tussle. Okay, cool. Well, we'll make that our game that we're going to predict for uh, this week on the national side of okay. things. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to predict that uh, Penn State wins. Um, I think it'll be a bit bit high scoring. So I'll go ahead and say that Penn State wins, um, let's say, uh, 35 to Iowa's, um, what would that be, 24. Let's do that. 35-24. Okay. Well, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good number. Um I think I think it's going to be a little lower scoring. I'm going to say it's going to be 28 Penn State 28 and Iowa um 17 17. Okay. So we've got a similar same margin of 11 points just kind of how high scoring we think it's going to right. be. Right. A little a, a little uh me a little uh, uh, lower scoring because both defenses are exceptional. 
Yeah. Although I will admit Iowa is super opportunistic. And if that continues, if that trend continues, then Iowa might score a lot more points than I'm thinking they're going to. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, this has been a great discussion here. Uh, nice to actually have some positive news to talk about for once on the Nebraska side of things. Yep. We, we get one week reprieve or is it the beginning of a turnaround and a trend? Right. We'll see. Yep. Yep. Well, and if, if it goes like, uh, you know, I've predicted, you know, where, uh, we lose, but it's by, you know, seven points or so, you know, I think we can come back here and say, okay, you know, obviously we're disappointed, but we've, we've, we seem, it seems like we have actually turned a corner, you know, if we go out there and get blown out by them, then it will be kind of back into the doldrums and Scott Frost should be fired, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if we're respectable, I think Nebraska fans can take that. Yeah, I, I would say that that's probably true, although that'll just increase the frustration that here we go again. Another reason why even when Scott's got talent and he's got a team that clearly we, we've seen can be good, he can't seem to get them to play consistently and with discipline. And that's a coaching thing. Mm-hmm. And you're in year four. So I want to see a second game in a row where we play disciplined football and and crisp and then uh, let the chips fall where they may if the other team is just better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, but, uh, but, um, but, I, but I'm wanting, I'm choosing to be uh, optimistic in that I, I just sense that, that there's an energy building here that th- th- that crowd is going to be electric before that game and early in that game. And if Nebraska can take advantage of that and ride that wave, they could uh, they could get themselves into a positive situation where then Michigan's got an uphill battle. You know, they got to climb the hill. And I don't know that Michigan's had to climb the hill a lot this year. You know what I mean? Like, they, they have struggled at times, but they've struggled in games where they were basically in the lead, right? Um, right. Uh, they haven't struggled from behind substantially. So if, if we could do, you know, not what we did in Northwestern, but let's say we get 14 points, you know, lead on them or something differential as we approach the half, then, uh, then maybe we, uh, can carry that momentum to a victory. You know, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. We will see. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us. If you, uh, email us at huskerpete 13 at gmail.com. You could also search for us on Apple Podcasts if you search for College Football Throwdown. We're also on Spotify and our new website, Anchor, as well, if you want to reach out to us there. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. And until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.